Hey, everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to go inside the life of a Las Vegas gambler and then count down the top five things we like to do but are embarrassed to tell people. In, in college or pro football, most handicappers that I know who are any good are very reliant on power ratings and looking for value. I don't think the Super Bowl falls into that category. But let me put it this way. I grew up around gambling, okay? The numbers game was very popular. This is long before it was legalized in any states. It adds up. It's a grind. The problem most people have is they want to win big all at once. And that's why they play parlays, which are bad bets. Most you've ever put down on a bet? Not going to say. I can tell you that uh, uh, it was based on some information I got. It's a long time ago. Um, it was based on information I got. And let's just say the information wasn't going to lose. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. I think our first guest has this incredibly interesting and timely story. Interesting because they've been on both sides of the law when it comes to gambling, and they've been able to make out of a career, a career that has lasted nearly 40 years, doing something that most people lose money at. And also timely because the Super Bowl is coming up, and gambling is becoming more and more prevalent with more and more states legalizing it. So I think that he has some fascinating perspective on what sports betting is going to look like in the future. This is Las Vegas handicapper Dave Koken. So going into the Super Bowl, is betting on the Super Bowl different than any other game, or is it just bigger? No, I, I think it's different uh, than any other game because not not on an individual basis, but over the course of a season, uh, in, in college or pro football, most handicappers that I know who are any good are very reliant on power ratings and looking for value. I don't think the Super Bowl falls into that category. One-game playoff situations like this, you got to find the winner of the game and forget the power ratings. That's always been my opinion. They just don't play out like, regu like regular season games. So you got to look for different edges. Like what do you mean different edges? Well, for me, it's a matchup, um, which I won't do as much of in the NFL during the regular season. I'm looking at specific matchups of strength versus weaknesses and trying to find the one that stands out. And in this case, I, I think there is one that, that, that does stand out. And it's the reason I'm probably going to be on the 49ers in this game. They're obviously very good at running the football and stopping the run for that matter. Uh, the Chiefs can be had on the ground. And, uh, and I think that's going to play out to San Francisco's advantage. I've always been of the belief, and this is a personal philosophy, but if you can find a team that's going to win the rushing stats, you're probably going to win the football game. Not all the time, obviously. Uh, there's nothing that's 100%. But by and large, it's it's a, a trait that works. Uh, teams that run the ball, control the clock, their offense is on the field more, and they win games. You're, you're on the 49ers right now? I'm going to wait for the best number I can find, which will hopefully be two. I don't think it'll get above that. Uh, but if it gets to plus two, at, at that point, I'll take the 49ers. Uh, for what it's worth in the power ratings, I did make the 49ers a half point better than, than uh, Kansas City. So it's, it's a virtual dead heat. But again, I like the matchup very much for San Francisco. And uh, if we've seen a tendency that matters in the postseason so far, Kansas City's not getting off to good starts. They've been struggling in the first quarter of these games. San Francisco's come out of the gate flying. Uh, the Chiefs have caught up to the other teams that they've fallen behind. If you fall behind against San Francisco, it really plays into their strength. And, and I think that's going to be bad news for Kansas City. What is, you know, what is Vegas like during the Super Bowl? Well, it's insane. Um, I mean, you've got, it's the second best place there is to watch the Super Bowl. The only better place would be at the game itself. It's Las Vegas. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to answer that. It's Las Vegas. It's the, it's the best tourist spot in the world. Las Vegas is the place to be. Same thing with the NCAA tournament. There's no place, be no place better in the NCAA tournament than maybe at the games themselves. Than the first two days of the NCAA tournament here in Las Vegas, it is, it's just absolutely incredible. So somebody comes up to you and they tell you why they're going to make a bet, so to speak. Do most people seem to have a good grasp of it, or are most people kind of just guessing? No, I, uh, most people guess. Um, 
but in effect, we're all guessing on a game like this because it's it, look. This is a game. If it's a regular season matchup, and my number is a half point on the game, and the line's basically right there, I'm just skipping over the game. It's not a game I'm possibly going to play because I don't see a particular advantage. But in a one game situation, and it's the Super Bowl, you know, everybody wants to be in action to some extent, and uh, and I, I'm just like anybody else. However, the the big difference is this, and this is where it's pros versus amateurs. The pros are going to treat this like any other game. And if they don't have a strong opinion on it, they either won't bet it or they'll bet it small. Um, whereas the amateurs like to go with the put their all eggs, uh, put all their eggs into one basket uh, mode and, and they'll be firing away on this game with, with big bets. So from that standpoint, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's definitely an amateur show. Um, the one area where it's not anymore, and this is where the books have had to really buckle down and do their work is on the props because the props have gotten bigger and bigger each year. And it used to be just toss out the props and people would have fun with it and bet five or 10 bucks on a prop and, and just see what happens. Uh, you've now got people who really study these props carefully and the books have to be very diligent in putting together good numbers on the props so they can get burned. When you're, you're talking about props, like how long somebody's going to sing the national anthem, that kind of stuff? No, or? no, I, no, that's, that's garbage, okay? Uh, I'm talking about real props, game props themselves, on how the game's going to unfold and people looking for holes in the betting lines on individual player props or team props. Uh, I'm not talking about coin flips and stuff like that. If you, if you bet on that stuff, then, well, you know, have fun, but that's about it. Just so I understand it a little bit more. So can you give me like an example of what a prop would be? Well, there's got to be hundreds of them. Uh, but for instance, uh, will the first score uh, be running the ball or a field goal or something along those lines? And I have to tell you, I'm not a prop better. I, I just don't have the time to get into it uh, deeply. So I basically dismiss them uh, and, and don't get involved in them at all. But these prop sheets, there's hun- literally hundreds of them. Uh, the Superbook will have, I don't know, they, they might have a thousand props up. It's And uh, so for somebody who's really into that stuff, they, they might be able to get some edges, but you've, you've got to be able to study it very closely and get into uh, uh, just minuscule trends that have taken place and try and translate them into this one game. Is that growing in terms of a lot more people are doing it yeah, or is it just more? Way more. Way more. Gets, it gets much bigger every year. Hmm. And now those props are all available online uh, for people who have mobile accounts and the in-game betting and in-game props will be available as well. So, you know, it, it, it's it, it's a far more sophisticated market than it used to be. Getting into kind of your story a little bit, how did you start – how did you get into this as a career? Oh, I was on the other side of the counter back in Rhode Island, uh, basically from the time I was old enough to uh, – uh, <laughs> not to walk, but uh, not too much after that and answering the phones, things like that. So I've been around it forever and uh, eventually had to transition out of that business – in Rhode Island for legal reasons. And at that point, I decided well, I'm going to come out to Las Vegas and see what I can do out here. And it's worked out pretty well. That's been uh, almost 40 years now. What was it about it that kind of attracted you to it? Was it just a love of sports or was it something else? I think the math, as far as the gambling end of it is concerned, it's always been the math because it's it's math-oriented and it happens to be something that's something that comes natural to me. So anything that has to do with numbers, I'm usually pretty fascinated by. And... And this is a, an endeavor that is all about numbers. How many times did you get picked up? Uh, with one major. Uh, and uh, that was expensive. That was the one that got me out of Rhode Island. Uh, paying lawyers isn't a lot of fun. And uh, let's just say I, I'm glad I had a good attorney. When you see kind of the whole country moving, maybe not the whole country, but when you see more and more states moving to legalization of it, how do you think that's going to change the entire sports betting world? Well, more people getting involved and less chance of bad things happening in terms of uh, people having bad experiences with not getting paid, getting stiffed and things like that. You're not going to get stiffed by a legal bookmaker. It's it's much better. It, I, all 50 states should legalize it because – and they're stupid if they don't uh, for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, the revenue stream is huge. And you can use that money for a lot of good things like education and things like that. Uh, number two is you're taking it uh, – it's not like people aren't betting in Hawaii or Utah or anyplace else or the state of Maine. Uh, people are still betting. 
So why not take advantage of it? Uh, you, you're making it better for the consumer, and it's just it's just silly to acknowledge that it's not going to exist. Is there any argument that you've heard that's against it that you could kind of, okay, I can understand that no. a little bit? No, it's 100%. It's 100%. People who don't understand it are uh, – they either are against it, which is fine. There's no rule that says you have to make bets. Uh, it's not like anybody's going to be forced to. And the, the, the thought process that, well, making it legal is going to uh, uh, entice a lot more people. If people want to bet on stuff, they're going to do it anyway. And there's some form of legalized wagering in 48 of the 50 states now. So that's already that's, – that's nonsense. Okay, if there were no legalized wagering, legalized gambling – in any states, then you could make the argument, I suppose, that well, you know, this is something that's going to uh, it's going to cause problems for a lot of people. But we've already seen with alcohol that mindset doesn't work. Okay, the Volstead Act is the dumbest piece of legislation in the history of the United States. It basically propelled organized crime from a small protection racket into big business. It is the single dumbest piece of legislation we ever had in this country. Uh, to do the same thing now with legalized wagering falls into that category. Uh, and, and I, I mean, uh, it's people want it, okay? It doesn't matter what state you go to. Maybe There might be one or two exceptions, but in virtually every state in the country, if you put a referendum up, should there be legalized wagering, it's going to pass. With a team in Vegas, is that going to, you know, I've heard different things that, oh, that's going to, you know, Anybody change. who says it's going to have any impact is an idiot. Plain and simple. They're an idiot. They're ignorant to the subject. They don't know anything about it. It will have no impact whatsoever. When you know, when you talk about players and gambling becoming such a more mainstream thing, so to speak, do they know the lines at all? Do you have you ever dealt with like they they know what's going on and try to kind of? Some players might, some coaches might, some might not pay any attention to it at all. Uh, there's a very famous college coach, Lou Holtz, was great. I mean, he used to use the betting line to fire up his team, one way or the other. Uh, the old story would be if they were a big favorite in a game, uh, he'd be saying, well, Las Vegas is telling us this other team doesn't have a chance. And you know they're going to come out there firing, so you, we better be ready. And he'd use the, the opposite mentality if uh, if the team was an underdog. He'd say, hey, they're not giving us a chance to win this game. We're not getting any respect at all. So they weren't gambling on it, but they were using the information as a motivational tool. Nothing wrong with that. You know, you, you've obviously been doing this for a really long time. How do you kind of keep it from getting away with you? Because obviously it is something that people struggle with at times. Same way with anything else. Uh, I like to have an occasional drink. doesn't mean I go out and get drunk every night. You can't make laws to discipline people from doing things that maybe they would be better off not doing. Okay, You can't, you can't legislate that. People are going to do it anyway if they want to. Okay, And, and, and the thing with the sports wagering, and this is what – calls me, is that people who speak out against it, why aren't they speaking out against state lotteries where your odds of winning are way less than they are in sports betting? Okay, basically, you got a 50-50 shot in sports betting on any one game. Uh, if there's a lottery out there that offers a 50-50 shot, let me know about it. I want to play it uh, to win. Look, I but let me put it this way. I grew up around gambling, okay? The numbers game was very popular. This was long before it was legalized in any states. And I can tell you that a lot of money used to come in, and it was terrible odds. Okay, I mean, you were getting – it was worse than Keno. It was it was the worst odds. People did it anyway because it was fun. And at least sports betting, you really do have a better chance at sports wagering than basically any other form of gambling. Maybe if you're a good blackjack player, maybe you've got a bigger edge there. Uh, because you, you know, if you know how to count, but, uh, but sports betting actually offers you an opportunity to at least go broke a lot. Not, not go broke. Have fun and maybe lose a little, but not lose a lot. And if you do your work, you might be able to get an edge. For somebody who's a professional gambler and a successful one, what are many they, of those? What do they win? Like 52% of the time? 55%? Like what? Well, it really depends on what they're betting and how they're betting. It's not a percentage thing. It's more. It's more units. Uh, you know, baseball. You can hit less than fifty percent and turn up a nice profit if you're paying, betting underdogs because it's a money line sport. Uh, the break even on point spreads is you know fifty two and change. Uh, if you can hit fifty five percent on a consistent basis, you can make a lot of money doing this. 
but there aren't many people that can hit 55%. And if you see somebody who's out there saying that they're hitting 70% on a regular basis, they are absolute liars. 0% chance they're doing that. 0%. It can be done short term. Anybody can have a season like that. In 1997, uh, and this is all documented, I was in a contest at uh, Sunset Station, and it was six games a week, and I hit 78% for the season, which is ridiculous. Okay, It's the only time I've ever done that, and it was just a complete fluke. I won every close game there was, and you know, just had an, an unbelievable season. But long term, you, there's nobody hitting percentages like that. Can't be done. I feel like this is going to be a horribly phrased question necessarily but when you're wrong why why is it that you're wrong it just it didn't turn out the way that you thought it was going to be the line wasn't good like what is it usually because it because you can't be right all the time you're just trying to be right 55 percent of the time basically um so that means i'm going to be wrong 45 percent of the time i'll take that make it count when you can make it count kind of so to speak it's just it's just it's no it's if you if you make a thousand bets over the course of a year and you win 550 of them and lose 450 of them, you made a lot of money if you're playing at any reasonable level. You know, let's say you're, you're betting $1,000 a game and you win $550,000 on your winners and you lose $495,000 on your losers. That's $55,000 profit over the course of a year betting $1,000 a game. Now, you've you got to be disciplined. And 1,000 bets during the course of a year sounds like a lot. It's actually not. It's less than three per day. Um, and if you look at a Saturday college basketball schedule, there's who knows, I don't, I don't even know how many games there are, but it's like 100 games, 120 games. If you're only betting three of them, you're not betting very much. Uh, it adds up. It's a grind. The problem most people have is they want to win big all at once. And that's why they play parlays, which are bad bets. Uh, and they're just not willing to grind it out and, and operate operate their sports betting like a business. That's the best piece of advice I can give anybody is if you're going to get involved in sports betting, treat it like a business. How much will you bet on a typical NFL game? My general bet, depending on, on the uh, the sport, there are certain sports I'm stronger in than others. My stronger sports are college football, NHL, and Major League Baseball, and late in the season in college basketball. And I'm usually in the 25 to 3% range uh, on those. Uh, the lesser sports, the NFL would be at the top of that list because it's not my best sport. Um, uh, I, I basically keep things at two percent, maybe one and a half percent. Two percent of my bankroll, of my betting bankroll. So that'd be like you, that's the that's the other first thing you do. If you're going to bet on sports, you assign a bankroll, whatever it is, and and you operate out of that betting bankroll. For that would be probably thousands then for you, or would that so be? Not, well, I'm not going to say what it is for me because that's nobody's business but mine. But uh, that's the way it should be for anybody. Okay. And it shouldn't it shouldn't be disposable income either. Uh, it should be uh, – or maybe I'm phrasing that wrong. It should be disposable income, income that you're not relying upon to pay the electric bill and the mortgage and, and things like that so that you don't have those pressures of, geez, I better win or I'm not going to be able to afford to put food on the table. Uh, you set it up. Like a second job. Best sport to bet on, worst sport to bet on. It's all up to the individual. For some people, it might be the NFL. Uh, for me, my best sport in terms of return on investment is college is, is college football by far. It's, it's my best sport. Um, but from a bankroll standpoint, I'll play more National Hockey League and more Major League Baseball. And over the course of a year, I'll probably make more in those sports than I will in college football because the volume is better for me. Better to bet on kind of the big things like, say, Cowboys versus Eagles or on the little, little stuff like, say, Dartmouth against Rutgers? Little stuff. If, you, uh, if you're doing your homework in the Big Sky Conference in college basketball and reading the newspaper, uh, you know, the beat writers and things like you can get some edges. And they're just strictly power rating games as far as the odds makers are concerned. So you can, you can find more edges on, on – Smaller stuff. Big events, they get the line right. Most you've ever put down on a bet? Not going to say. I can tell you that uh, uh, it was based on some information I got. It's a long time ago. Um, it was based on information I got, and let's just say the information wasn't going to lose. 
<laughs> and I'll leave it at that. And it involved a horse race, which I can't. I, I'm not a good horse handicapper. Okay, I I, for, I go to Del Mar once a year, and no, I'm going to lose. The interesting thing is, the last two years I've actually won, but that was just blind luck. Um, I don't know what I'm doing with the horses, but I did get. And this is a long time ago, but I got some really good information uh, regarding a race, and uh, that was the most I've I've ever won. Can I ask you this as a follow-up? Is that what I think it sounds like? Tell you the story. Okay. Um, it was at Narragansett Park. I don't remember the year. Sometime in the 70s. And um, the first race that day was a maiden race with several first-time starters. I think it was a maiden special weight uh, race. And uh, I had uh, – I was friends with one of the riders. And uh, he was a gambler and, and – he was not doing well at the time. And I got a call, uh, I guess it was the morning of the, uh, of the, of the event. And he says, listen, there's a horse running in the first race, uh, and it's listed as Conistical, C-O-N-I-S-T-I-C-A-L. And, uh, it's his first, it's, he's listed as a first time starter. And, uh, okay. And, you know, normally I would, information from jockeys is not the best, okay? Because, a lot of them were gamblers, and they weren't very good at it. He says, uh, "Well, I, he says, well, I, so what I can tell you is the, uh, this: this horse that's running is not Canistical. Okay, it's it's another horse, and he's way better than anybody in this field. They're just looking; they they they, they want to make a score. And uh, he owed, owed me some money at the time, so this was his way of uh, paying it back. And it's like, well, you know, this horse going to win. He says, oh, this horse is going to win.' And uh, <laughs> and the horse won by like seven lengths." And several months later, the thing got uncovered because the idea, I guess the idea the horses with tattoos on the gums and, you know, word, nobody keeps a secret very long. And word got out that uh, something had happened in this race at Narragansett Park. But uh, by that time, people had bet on it. It's not like we were going to go back to the track and give them back the money. And it was paramutual. So as far as I'm concerned, nobody got hurt. And I made I made a, a lot uh, I made a lot of money that day. <laughs> uh, can we? Is it safe to say enough to buy a nice car? Uh, especially with what cars went for back then. Is yeah. I, I uh, and the interesting thing is I, I I did go out and make a a nice purchase. Uh, it was a Bang and Olufsen stereo, and it was back at the time when this was one of the first stereos where you did the little touch thing. They had little buttons that oh, you touched. Yeah. I mean, it was really nice. It, it cost. A few thousand dollars, which at the time for a stereo system was, was a lot of money, okay? And uh, son of a bitch, if the thing didn't get – I got uh, – I had it in 1981 when I was still in Rhode Island. I happened to be out here on vacation, one of my many vacations to Las Vegas, and uh, my house got robbed and they took the damn stereo. So so I guess I got, I got what was coming to me. <laughs> Isn't that weird how it all, it all somehow works out in the end, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they cleaned me while I was out here, and uh, except for a console TV, which I guess was too big to take out. What? How often does that happen, or do you hear about that happening, where the fix is in, so to speak? Well, I, ne- I, I never heard it like this. It's the only time I've ever heard of a situation where th- there was a horse running who wasn't the horse, and it was, was another horse. So, I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but, uh, but it's the only time I ever knew about it. And it's, I'll tell you one other funny story. I didn't make that much on it, but it's a funny story. I used to do a lot of boxing coverage in the media. And, uh, yeah, that's when I was doing radio 40 hours a week and, and, uh, and boxing's huge here in Las Vegas. And I had a lot of friends in, in the boxing industry anyway. So there's a card at the MGM Grand and, uh, I got there real early for some reason. I guess I didn't have to, I, it was one of those situations where it's too late to go home. So I'll just go hang out there. And I'm literally in the, alone in the press room. It wasn't a real big fight. It was, uh, it was, I think, one title fight in the card and a bunch of undercard stuff. So I'm literally alone in the press room. And a guy comes walking in, and he's got a record album under his arms. This was back in the late 80s. Uh, and he says, who do I give the music to for the ring entrance music? And I go, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just here covering the fight. I said, the guy you want to talk to is so-and-so from top-ranked boxing. He's their publicist, and he should be in here in a few minutes, but he's not here right now. Uh, so I said, sit down and take, you know, have a cup of coffee, relax. So I'm talking to the guy, and it turns out that he is the manager of one of the guys on the undercard. 
and he had he was the uh, it was the underdog's manager. Um, so anyway, I'm talking to the guy, and it turns turns out he's not really a fight manager. He's just the buddy of this of this particular boxer. He's a biochemist at some lab in Minnesota, and so I'm talking, and it's the guy. He's very willing to part with information. So naturally, I start pumping him for information, and he basically said he. Uh, uh, my my buddy's really nervous. He thinks he's going to get his butt kicked, uh, and which he did. And uh, <laughs> upon receiving that information, uh, I, you know, I got as much money as I could get. Uh, hit a couple of bank machines in the uh, MGM and, and bet whatever I could on Wellis and, and won that uh, pretty impressively. I'll tell you the best piece of information I ever got on an NFL game, and it was from and it was accidental. I mean, he didn't do it from from a betting standpoint, but I used to host a Sunday morning. NFL uh, show, and it wasn't a, a gambling show per se, but we did talk point spreads. And Dan Pompey, who's you know very respected writer, uh, I think it was with the Chicago Sun Times at the time. We used to get uh, live reports from every NFL location on the Sunday schedule. So Dan was the guy who provided us with the Bears reports when he was doing home games. And on this particular day. And he didn't do this as a gambling thing. I don't want to make it sound like anything untold. But he says, Geez, I'm standing in mud here. It had rained in Chicago, and the drainage was not working well at Soldier Field. And the field was basically unplayable. I mean, you were sinking in mud just standing there. And it's kind of, well, without saying anything to Dan, next commercial break, I'm running to the window to bet the under. Because when you... You've got information like that. You've got to take advantage of it. And I think the final score of the game was 6 nothing, if I'm not mistaken. So once in a while, it's not about handicapping. It's just about getting good information and knowing how to capitalize on it. And it was nothing nothing at all um, that would be considered out of line as to what Dan said because he didn't even he wasn't even approaching it. From, he was just talking about it from a game standpoint. Uh, it just happened that he, he said it to somebody who likes to bet on games. What's the worst luck you've ever had on a game? Oh, that'll probably be the next loser I have. I don't, I, <laughs> you always got to blame something, right? Uh, no, I, there's, there's been too many. I think the Belk Bowl a few years ago between Cincinnati and Duke, which was basically a game I couldn't lose, and I don't even want to go through what happened in the last two minutes of that game, but uh, um, I lost. And, and anybody who was on that game was on Duke might very well list it as the worst loss they've ever had. Does Vegas ever manipulate the line? They really think this team is going to win by 10, so they put it at 5 or something like that. Well, not to that extent. But you'll see oddsmakers shade lines uh, based on what they think the action will be and what they might think the prediction is going to be. Uh, they don't do it as much as they used to because the volume now is is such that they kind of don't have to. Uh, but back in the old days, uh, the oddsmakers definitely used to – uh, shade the line maybe a point or two. You don't do it any more than that because if you do, then you you know nobody's that good, okay? Uh, but yeah, you 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 shade action and try and trap betters. But again, it was it's a completely different marketplace now. If you try that now, the numbers guys will crush you. And the numbers guys, what do you mean by the numbers guys? The guys who work with on power ratings and 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 know what the numbers supposed to be on a game. That that's why when I hear people say, "Well, yeah, they Vegas hung a bad number on that one," no, they didn't. Okay, they almost never hang a bang, bad number. What do you think is going to be kind of the next big trend in betting? Uh, live in-game betting. It's getting bigger all the time. And, it, and the beauty of it is, you know, with mobile devices, you don't have to be at the location to make the bet. Uh, you can you can be lounging in your pool. And, uh, and, and in-game betting, uh, it's, it's getting bigger by the day. And it, I think eventually it'll overtake pre-game betting. That seems to me like that could be something that somebody's going to lose really big on that. I don't yeah. know who it's going to if it's going to be the house or if it's going to be the better. No, but it no, seems- the, the, it'll heavily favor the books uh, because they're just going to use algorithms to post the number, and the number is going to be <laughs> solid. And the betters will the betters will get the amateurs will really get crushed on that. That's pretty much all the questions that I have, man. Is there anything else that what's coming up for you? That's just business as usual for me. I'll just approach each day like a, a brand new day and go through the games and see if I can find some edges. And, and as for the Super Bowl, I'll have fun with it like everybody else, but it won't be a very big bet for me. 
I want to thank Dave so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're Profoundly Pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we have also included links to him and to his website on the RSS feed that's on this podcast. Okay, now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Hello? So your parents have three kids, correct, including you? That is that is correct, yes. Where do you feel like you rank in terms of their favorites? Are you one, two, or three? Uh, short answer is, is uh, definitely three. What, what about you do you think makes your parents not like you as much as their other children? Well, for one, I am 10 and 13 years removed from my blood siblings. So you were so bad that they said, we don't want another child. Basically, is what happened. I mean, listen, if you're pushing me out of your your hoo-ha, you probably want to quit for a while, too. I just don't know. You know, I don't know. I I don't know if 10 years, you know, it's just that's quite a a long time. I mean, obviously, maybe things are going on. I I don't really know. But I do know that I often refer to myself when people ask me about my brother and sister. I'm like the creepy uncle. Yeah, you kind of are because of that age difference. They probably don't even really look at you as a sibling, more like just some weird dude who's always around. You know, I, I already I already had started my, you know, well into my adult life before my sister was even able to drive a car. Okay. I mean, I feel like there's a lot more there, but I've lost interest in it. So <laughs> What about you? Where do, where where do you rank? Oh, I'm definitely number 2. Definitely number 2. I'm definitely 2 out of 2. Like my sister is definitely liked by my parents more. I mean, listen, I don't. I don't blame our parents. I feel by proxy, I'm third. You would just be last, no matter how many siblings you had. Well, I think that my sister just probably identifies with my parents more than I do. Like I'm a little bit more of an outlier than she is necessarily. I, I don't. I, I respect their decision. I mean, if my dad and my mom came up to me and said, "Look, we like your sister more than you," I would be, "Yeah, I, all right." That's fair. I agree with that. <laughs> what if, what if one of your parents came up to you and said, "You know, Nick, we love you, but we're just not going to talk to you anymore. We're going to focus solely on your sister. What, Have a nice life." Well, what would be their reason? Like, if they had a legit reason, I would have a hard time, kind of, you know, like, look, if they came up to us and said, "Listen." We only have a limited amount of time left, and we're going to spend that just focusing on your sister. I would say, all right, well, how much time you got? And if it was only a couple of years, I would feel like, all right, well, that makes sense. But if they had like 10 years and told me we're only going to talk to your sister, I was like, you got plenty of time. You can involve me a little bit. Now, whether they would actually want to do that is the real question. What's the most amount of money you've ever lost in a bet? Like... Like in a, in a casino counts too, right? Like casino gambling. Why wouldn't a casino count? Um. Anyways, getting back on topic, the most I've ever lost uh, that I can remember is like 150. I think that's pretty good. Mine's probably around 10 to 15 dollars. That's about it. <laughs> yeah, you're not much of a gambler. You like uh, enabling people to gamble, and then you laugh once they. Lose $600. Shout out to somebody we know. Shout out Um, to Ryan Brennan. $800 on one hand of uh, roulette. Not the best decision. (laughs) I want my room comped. (laughs) He didn't get his room comped either, (laughs) which I just love. We'll get into why I like that in our top five. But um, no, I mean, for me, here's my problem with gambling. I remember the first job I ever had was at Charlie's Chicken. Shout out to Charlie's Chicken and Derby, now closed. But I just look at making $5 an hour in that fucking stinky, hot, miserable chicken shack. And I just, that that's what I see is five bucks. I'm not losing five bucks. Like, that's an hour in that fucking chicken shack. I'm not doing that. I can't gamble. It's too nerve-wracking. Yeah, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I, I think the same way you think. Uh, you know, I... I <laughs> don't give a fuck. <laughs> if, 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 I'm at, if I'm at a sports book... And somebody's like, oh, hey, you want to put 20 down on this game? All right. I'll, t- I'll take the chance. Why not? Next thing I know, I'm in 200 bucks and I've lost every bet. Because I don't know if you know this, but I literally am the worst gambler slash better that anyone's ever met. Find me a, a worse better and, I- and I'll go up against them. I'm that bad. I take these stupidest bets. 
Oh, so it's not necessary. You just take stupid bets. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just like, I'm, I'm an idiot. I mean, I, I will just because there's like that one percent chance that that team or that athlete or whoever could win or, or do something great, but they never do, and I always lose. Well, I could see that. That makes sense, actually. <laughs> I would be surprised, like, if you were actually winning. Like, you just kind of look like a guy that's not going to be good at gambling. <laughs> if I if I was following you up to the sports book, I would ask, "What did that guy just bet on?" and then do the opposite and be like, "Oh, okay, probably have a winning record." I mean, I don't know if that's a compliment or or a backhand compliment, but I guess I'll take it that I don't look like somebody. I don't know why you're trying to take this in a compliment in any way. That was purely an insult. Well, I mean, I I have to take what you say and twist it around, or I'm just gonna cry all the time. So I understand. Are you ready for your segment? Let's do it. So uh, this week, a lot of activity on the old social media. You can check us out. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. Um, let's uh, give some shout-outs to uh, Jalen, Mirko, Adario, David, Edgar, Asthma, which I know I'm saying that wrong, so forgive me. Yeah, uh, dude. <laughs> How is it spelled? How is it spelled? A-S-M-A. Oh, yeah, that's definitely not asthma. I mean, asthma is a medical condition. Why would somebody have their online username be a medical condition? Like, shout out to Big Herp. No, (laughs) I I go beyond the username. That was like, that's like this this woman's name is ASMA. I'm sure it's not asthma, but anyways. She's um, probably shortening it. How do you know that's not her username? Why do you think that's her real name? Because I I, uh, clicked on the... You stalked her? her? <laughs> anyway, I, knew, I see. I was trying to get around that because I knew you were going to say that. How many pictures deep into her social media account did you go? Zero. I just went to her actual profile and saw, like, not her handle, but, like, who she is and where she's from. Okay. That's creepy. And you didn't <laughs> – so you stalked her only around based upon her location and username, but didn't actually go in and look at any of the pictures? I don't believe that. Anyways, uh, how many pictures? Tom, deep? Elijah, Rachel, James, Logan, Nate, Karate Club Wedding. Yeah, that, that, that <laughs> sounds like a great time. And uh, food porn extra. Yeah. I'll get the shout outs uh, this week. That's Appreciate you liking, subscribing, following along with us, idiots, as we uh, apparently take up an hour of your podcast listening time. There it is. I'm sorry to asthma. <laughs> I'm sure I fucked that up, but it's. It's beyond the point. Shout out to Food Porn Extra too. That's a good name. <laughs> that and Karate Club Wedding, uh, just I, those are fantastic names for uh, for those two entities. Nice, uh, anyway. nice, nice, en- right. nice ending. Thanks. You have to choose uh, one of these scenarios: either you're stuck on a frozen lake alone, or you're stranded in the hot desert alone. Frozen lake. Well, you think you're going to go fishing? You think you're that handy that you can ice fish or or run to the woods and, and get shelter or, or kill a bear or something? No, my idea would simply be based around if you're on a frozen lake, people generally like to go this, hang out in the snow. Like you have a better chance that somebody's going to come to the frozen stake and help you than you are stranded in the middle of the fucking desert because nobody wants to go out there. Like I feel like there's a better chance of being rescued on a frozen lake and you could at least sit there and lick the ice and get water. <laughs> yeah. What's... Would you rather would you rather be a movie star with a cocaine problem or a music star with a heroin problem? Oh, music movie star with with cocaine. I think heroin is something you don't want to fuck around with. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that would be funny. Um, oh, you think people's pain is funny? No, I, I was. I, I let me let me rephrase that. I don't wow, think that that's dude, way to be insensitive to drug addiction. I, I was oh, looking forward yes, to your I'm answer. The, you're the one who said it. You're a t- <laughs> That's like the one drug that like I wouldn't just kind of try to see even what that was like. Like you put pretty much any other drug in front of me, I would probably do it. But heroin, I wouldn't like, no, I've heard that's like, you you don't even want to try that. I'm just, I'm, I'm I don't think I'd want to stick a, you know, anything that I have to put in a syringe and stick me with i don't think i'd I'd be doing that i'd miss the mark anyways i'd like end up putting it in like my just fat and i wouldn't get anything well you'd be hard to find a vein on what's your last one that's actually not true by the way um oh where are you veiny at are you a veiny fat guy yeah are you really and just to let you know 
I haven't been fat my entire life, which is why I still have veins. I don't think that's where. Do, where do you have good veins at? I mean, pretty much anywhere. I mean, I go to get my blood drawn, and they pop out like you know, like I'm 140 pounds. Are you going to tell me you got veins like on your thighs? Somebody could take blood from your thigh. Sure. I mean, I'm looking at one right now. I need a picture. We need a picture I'm of not your veiny you body. A picture of my thighs. That's that's too far. Okay. How about your arm then? Send us a picture of your arm. Sure. That's fine. All right. We're we're gonna evaluate whether or not John is a vascular man. You got good <laughs> vascularity. I'm not. Listen. Just so everyone knows, I'm not claiming to be a vascular man. I'm just saying that getting my blood drawn, it's not an issue. Okay. I just want to um, see these veins that apparently you're popping out. And by the way, no one gets their blood drawn from their thigh. No, but I mean, if you're talking about how, like, if you've got good veins, I feel like thigh veins would be, that's where you got, <laughs> that's where you could tell, right? Or a good back vein. That's how you can see yeah. if somebody, like, you see a bodybuilder, they got a vein in the middle of their back, you're like, oh, that dude's ripped. Yeah, I don't even know if that's natural to be able to have, it's like those bodybuilders that have the forehead vein. Yeah. I love a good forehead vein when somebody gets angry. But that shit ain't for real. Um, <laughs> all right, last question. You have to eat expired guac or like a so ripe banana that it's all brown and nasty and like almost just squishes when you when you peel it. Well, you go with the banana because you could easily make that into a, ripe bananas make the best milkshakes. <laughs> and here we go. Uh, if you're listening, food porn extra. I think Nick uh, Nick's looking for an extra gig if you guys are looking to bring somebody on. There you go, man. But that, look, a really ripe banana makes the best milkshake. That's where you go. <laughs> That's a fact. Um, are you All ready right. for Are you ready for our top five? What exactly I, is it? I'm this is your idea. In myself. Well, he's, it took you this long. <laughs> so go ahead and intro, and then I'll tell you why I'm disappointed. <laughs> Did you go to the bathroom before? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> not this time our top five is top five things that you like to do but are afraid to admit to other people right uh, or yeah, don't like want to admit to other yeah or just things that you don't like to admit to other people okay let's try this again it's top five things that you like to do but don't want to admit to other people it was my idea uh for this top five and i'm i'm very disappointed in my list i'm i'm like, I, I just feel like it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, mine is not necessary. Well, let's just get into it and way to just kind of make nobody interested in listening to this anymore by basically saying your list is stupid from the beginning. Uh, what's no, you- maybe, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Um, so my number five is uh, I hate admitting that I like watching, if I'm off, daytime TV shows. What kind of daytime TV shows? Are we talking about soap operas or are we talking about like game shows? I mean, uh, I'm talking about like if, if Jerry Springer's on, Ooh. and then oh well, one to two's taken care of, and then oh well, I don't know, Young and the Restless is on. It could be a, a captivating episode. I want to see how Mary, who Mary cheats on Todd with this week. You know what though? Shout out to soap operas because I was actually waiting out a contract and I had three months to essentially do nothing. I got pretty into some soap operas. I mean, that you can get sucked into them pretty easily. There's a reason they've been on air for 700,000 years. Um, that's the damn truth. No, but I can't watch shows like Jerry Springer or stuff like that. That's that's too far for me. Too close to home? Yeah, a little bit. Shout out to my uncle who was on there. Um, <laughs> my number five is just trolling people online, especially companies when they send out like promoted tweets. I love to troll them. Yeah, see, I, I, I almost had something on there like – you know, I hate admitting that I spend too much time on, on social media, like which kind of goes back to what you said earlier, like Facebook stalking people. But it didn't make my list. Okay. What's your number four? Uh, that I have nerdy hobbies, like playing Pokemon back in the day was magic. I do some tabletop uh, board gaming. Yeah. If you're not in the right crowd, when you, when, that gets, when you bring that up or whatever, it can get real awkward. Yeah, I could see that. Magic and those kind of games, I think nerd culture has become pretty popular with comic books. Like that's not a, something that you can be embarrassed about anymore or even anime. But I feel like Magic the Gathering and places like that, 
that's still something that like, ooh. And I'm not judging. I'm just pointing out facts here. I think that's still one of those things that somebody says that in public and you're kind of like, whoa, that's that's pretty far into the nerd culture spectrum. Yeah, I mean, what, one thing I always find is like people talk about getting together and doing things. And to me, I'm I'm always that asshole. I, I don't do this, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, it'd be great to like do a board game tonight, except no one in our generation or for the last 30 years do board games. What board game are you going to be playing? Oh, man. Like, if you're putting me on the spot, uh, like Risk, something like that. That's dumb. Monopoly is the best game ever. <laughs> to finish this point out, like, I feel, I mean, I've, I've, I'm somebody that once spent an hour looking up how much the Hulk bench presses. But if somebody says to me, like, I'm going to go play Magic or something like that, I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty nerdy. But yeah, if that's I mean, what you like to do, do go do it. I'm not trying to hate on anybody who does any of these things, but, uh, you know. This is my our list, my list. Okay. Uh, my number four is freeballing. <laughs> See, I didn't put anything like physical on there because I don't really get into too many conversations where people are like, are you wearing underwear today? Yeah, but I love going commando and <laughs> I wouldn't want anybody to know that I'm going commando. But if you see me in public, there's a good chance that I'm out there just letting it hang out. That's not a gardener's snake in his pants, ladies and gentlemen. No, it's more of a toothpick. It's more like a broken toothpick. Uh, what's your number three? Uh, that I often get emotional at uh, like TVs and uh, TV shows and movies. You're a crier, aren't you? <sighs> I like. I'm not like a full fledged crier, but like misty? I will well up. What's and then, What's the last thing you got misty about? Oh man, this is. <laughs> Real embarrassing. Um, Please be like the great British baking show. No, it was, uh, we're just finishing up the latest episode of This Is Us. God. <sighs> I know, I know, I get it, trust me, that's why I hate admitting it out loud. I hate that show. I, I have a friend whose also name is Nick, who listens to this podcast, I believe, who says that he won't watch that show because they purposely write it to like lure you in to get emotional. Yeah, it's which, pandering. That's what pisses me off about it. It's just it's just cheap pandering and I I hate that show. And quite frankly, I've lost a little respect for you for the fact that you watch it. <laughs> I mean, see, I mean, this is goes along with our list. That's why I hate admitting it. It's just stupid. It's just like, "Oh, and then Tracy got cancer and she was just about to adopt a child who had lost their parents in a car crash." Right after the fire that took their grandparents and their grandparents were lost at sea for six, like, just shut, it's just crap. <laughs> it's just, well, it's crap, but it makes a lot of money and, and a lot of people watch it, so. Yeah, well, it's ruining society. Uh, what number are we on? Uh, you're number three. Oh, laughing at other people's pain. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's. That's one you probably don't want to admit. That's a good one, actually. Yeah, I love other people's misfortune. <laughs> I love it. Especially on the internet when it's somebody that like is trying to be cool, and then they run into like a stop sign or something. Oh, love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That's a really good one, actually. Yeah, somebody um, gets like a new car, and they rev it up, and then crash it. The best. <laughs> Uh, so my number two, I'm not so much shy anymore, but for a long time, I uh, and I still don't unless someone asks or you know me about my music taste, but uh, I love the boy band era. <laughs> like, uh, I, like I, I, I love it. I love that whole pop scene. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in it, but I mean, I name, name an artist from the mid to, you know, early 2000, or mid 90s, early 2000s that's really poppy and shitty. And I probably like some song from them. Okay, give me your rank from best to worst of NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, O-Town, and 98 Degrees. So uh, from four to one, <laughs> you can tell I've done this before. It'd be O-Town, 98 Degrees, Backstreet Boys, and NSYNC. That's legitimate. I agree with your list. I don't know anything about it very much, but I agree with your list. Um, are we Are we on number two? Yeah, we're taking a number two on you. Uh, going to grocery stores simply for the free samples. <laughs> or like walking this, through the food court at the mall just to get free samples. This might shock you. I've, I, 
I, you know what? I, no, when you added the mall thing, I, I might have done that. But I've never gone to a store specifically just to get free samples. I have. <laughs> it was a long winter in uh, 2011, wasn't it? You yeah, just yeah. had to go get those free samples. Look, especially Costco on a Saturday. Costco <laughs> Saturday around 11 a.m. Ooh, that's prime free sample time, man. <laughs> that's hell is what that is that is no, hell oh not if you're actually not trying to buy anything like if you're just cruising free samples it's you're in and out um <laughs> what's your number one so this is where i think my list is lame uh but my number one uh thing that i hate admitting that i like is a uh, nascar yeah that's kind of lame a lot of people like nascar why don't it you is, want to admit that you like nascar because you know i my friend group growing up, you know, NASCAR, at least where I grew up and here in Southeast Michigan, is often construed as, you know, a redneck thing, mullets, back tattoos, Marlboros and Bud Light, which are usually cool things. More of a Budweiser. Um, but it's just not that well liked. And I don't know why I like it, but I just do. I think dudes driving 200 miles an hour, five inches, you know away from each other is like, that's, that's badass. I don't care if they're just doing, you know, left-hand turns for four hours. Uh, yeah, yours is number one is pretty lame. My number one is farting in a crowded room. <laughs> I mean, anyone, I mean, people who listen to this don't know you do shit like that, but that's you. Like you are that asshole and it's just not farting. Like you'll, you do shit. You did shit like that when we, uh, lived near each other in Orlando constantly. I just like seeing other people's kind of misery in bad situations because I think that tells you, like, you find out a lot about people. I love a good sex on the beach shot. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything in your honorable mention? Um, the only one that I, that is, well, this is probably lame too. Um, like, I, I, I like Christmas shopping. Like, I like going out and, like, actually going to stores. Okay. And I feel like no one does that. No, everyone just does online shopping now, and you know, most men will be a will say, or at least in my circle of friends, uh, that they don't like shopping at all. I don't mind it. Okay, that's gonna go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out, and. I know I've said this the last couple of times, but every time we get feedback from you guys, we really, it really kind of makes our day. It's just, it's so cool because for John and I, I know that, that it, him and I, we like to do this show because we like to talk to each other, but more than anything, we also want to know what other people think. We want to know what your perspectives are on things. So if you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, and share. Drop us a comment. Love to hear from you.